Warning, today's chapter uses antiquated words to describe African Americans. Please know that these words are lifted directly from history. We invite you to look on the National Archives and educate yourself about this truly ugly chapter in American history. So, in all its brutal honesty, we give you this chapter of Evermore Poe. This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 41, Part 1. Eddie sat with his back against a gravestone, staring at the weathered wooden cross of Eliza Poe. He had been coming to this spot for as long as he could remember. Most people thought the cemetery was scary and ominous, but their absence just made for peace and quiet. Here, among this crowd of the dearly departed, Eddie could truly be himself without interruption or the pressures of the outside world. Here, Eddie could truly be himself, uninterrupted and without the pressures of the outside world. I hate him, he said. Eddie imagined his mother, Eliza, sitting along beside him. You don't, she said. You love him. He's your pa. I used to love him. I did. But now he's just cold and cruel. I don't even know him anymore. He's not trying to be cruel. He just doesn't understand you, Eddie. He was an orphan too, remember? He's trying to spare you from hardship. Yes, but how am I supposed to learn about the world if I'm constantly being told what to do? Am I living his life? I know he had it hard as a child, but now he's doing great. He acts all righteous and then he has a kid with someone else that isn't my ma. If he wants to make me in his image, he's doing a bang-up job of being a role model. And who the hell is John Allen anyway? He's not even my real father. He's the closest thing you've got to a father, Eddie. Truth is, John Allen is a better provider than David Poe Jr. ever would have been, and you know it. Eddie mulled this over before turning his thoughts to other matters. Also, I, I never thought I'd be in love with two women at once, but here I am. I don't know how to choose between them. Do you really have a choice, Eddie? They're both off-limits. But they each light a fire in me that I didn't know was there. Jane Stannard is my muse. She has the face of an angel and the body of Venus. God, she's beautiful. I mean, Helen of Troy beautiful. And the way she looks at me, all desire and lust. She's so exciting. She's dangerous, Eliza Poe's specter said. Yes, and she's enticing, too. She's married. She's too old for you. Her love is forbidden, Eddie. That's the only reason you desire her. Eddie thought about this. Maybe. But still, then there's Juliet. We're the same age, almost. We shared a childhood. She's my bookend. If not for this damn caste system, she could be more than that, too. Look, I may not agree with slavery, but what can I do about it? It is what it is. But every time I try to tell Juliet to look on the bright side, she just gets mad at me and says I have no idea and to shut my mouth. But you don't have any idea. You can't walk in her shoes. Juliet is in a complex position, perhaps the most complex. She can't just walk out the door. She could if she came with me to Boston. You're lying to yourself, Eddie. Eddie thought about this. He knew he was. He had always been drawn to rule-breaking because it was exciting and rebellious. Right, he said, popping up and wiping off his trousers. He looked at his mother's humble grave and swore to her, It's time to put up or shut up. I'll find Juliet's papers, and then she'll have no choice but to decide whether she wants to go all the way to Africa or stay right here in America and go to Boston with me. 
Rest in peace, dear mother. I love you. Eddie set off towards home and passed to the office of Ellis and Allen on the way. He wanted to see if Mr. Ellis was in so he could ask for a ride home, but if no one was there, Eddie would have the chance to go looking for Juliet's papers. It was a win-win either way. The door was locked, so he grabbed the hidden key and entered. Eddie grabbed a handful of files with an eye out for the name Juliet. From the beginning, it was a chore and very boring. His eyes began to glaze over, so much so that he sat down to eat an apple. Juice flew all over the mail that was laid out on the desk. As Eddie wiped it away, his eyes landed on a curious letter that mentioned one Juliet Ellis. He grabbed the letter, his eyes darting back and forth, getting larger as he went with each line. If Eddie hadn't already been sitting, he would have collapsed altogether. No, he quivered aloud before rereading the document to make sure his eyes were not deceiving him. No, 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 the letter said. Dear sirs, I'm writing to inquire about the quadroon girl of whom we discussed upon my last visit to Richmond. After giving it much consideration, I am obliged to procure her for my property in Maryland. Your description of the girl meets my criteria, namely that she is of childbearing age and of good health. Please find enclosed a check for the agreed-upon sum as a payment in good faith of our arrangement. I have taken the liberty of enclosing a partially completed bill of sale for your convenience. Only the rightful owner of the girl need complete the date and signature under the witnessing eye of another. Cordially, Edward Covey, Mount Misery, St. Michael's, Maryland. Edgar's hands began to quiver as he looked at the next page. Bill of Sale. I, Charles Ellis, for and in consideration of the sum of $800 to me in hand upon the delivery of these presents by December 1823, whereby I do hereby acknowledge fully satisfied and paid the purchase of Juliet Ellis, approximately age 15 years, the right and title of said slave slash servant. I hereby warrant her sound and healthy and of child-bearing age. The words were in all capitals. Hereunto set my hand and seal this document on this day, the deed sealed and delivered in the presence of Mr. Charles Ellis. Finding the letter was just too much to bear. Eddie's mind reeled. Who could he talk to? Who could he beg? Pa was out of town. Mr. Ellis was too intimidating. Uncle Galt, too senile. Dabney, Ma, Aunt Nancy, no one could help. The walls closing in, Eddie paced around the office, then grabbed his coat and left before Mr. Ellis could return. He couldn't stand seeing the man. Eddie wandered aimlessly around the marketplace. Like a blind man seeing for the very first time, the marks of slavery were everywhere. Signs for the sale of Negroes, posters advertising upcoming auctions. For the very first time, he noticed auction stages with their built-in shackles bolted to the floor and holding bays that he'd always believed were for small livestock. Now the grim reality was all too clear. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable 
People, Scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.